0: Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Good evening, everybody. I think I just about know everybody in here. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you, my name is James Pope one of the many servants of the Lord here at New Vision. And it's an honor to be able to to, uh, fill in for Pastor Pete tonight. I was actually supposed to be last week, but he knew he was going to be going up to L.A. to do some work for his father and with his father. And uh, as you know, his mother passed um, just a month or two ago. And so dealing with some closing up issues and ministering to his family. So um, I almost kind of wish that I knew what um, that I had, saw what he was gonna have me teach in his place. Um, And what was interesting is that God, uh, if if there isn't anybody else, the word was for for me for sure. And, uh, but I pray and trust that the word is also for you. And uh, so let's pray and then let's open it up and see what God has in store for us. Lord, we just thank you so much for your mercy and grace in our lives, Lord, and uh, even allowing us to be in your presence here. Oh, we thank you Jesus for dying on the cross for our sin being buried, raised from the dead, and ascending to the right hand of the Father and interceding on our behalf. Thank you for that tremendous grace that we don't deserve. But just as the song said, we sung to you, and we sang even to ourselves to a certain degree because it's, oh, how you love us. And we can't wrap our minds around that. And sometimes, Lord, we go into a downward spiral of depression because sometimes we beat ourselves up because we're trying to perform, we're trying to be religious, we're trying to earn your love. But there was no way that we could ever earn your love. As you were bleeding out on the cross and you were looking down at all of humanity and perhaps even seeing images of our faces that are here this day, because that happened 2,000 years ago. You cast your eyes up to the heavens, to the Father, and Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We think we do. With all our pride and arrogance and education and religiosity that we have, we think we know it all. But yet, we know it all how can we turn away for such the greatest salvation that you make available to us and mercy and grace that you have available to us, abundant life that you have available to us? It's because we just can't figure it out and we need your help. So Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to be the teacher tonight. Lord, I can't do anything. I, all I can do is just avail myself and ask that your spirit would just flow. And as Pastor Brent had prayed earlier, that Lord, the words that are being spoken, that your Holy Spirit would be behind it and in front of it and on top of it and in it, and that you would speak a word to each and every one of us individually, but also collectively as a body of believers, that you would speak. We need you desperately. And if we don't think we need you, I pray that you would help us to know that we do need you. Because many go out there in that big ocean and they think they don't need anything and Next thing you know, they're caught up in a riptide. Next thing you know, they're out miles out of shore and they don't have the strength to get back to shore and they need a life preserver. And had they just gone and listened to the lifeguard, they would not have been in so much trouble and their life in peril. And so help us to see that our spirit apart from you is in peril and that we need you desperately. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I. You guys know that sometimes I cry, but this cat, past couple of days have been ridiculous, and uh, he likes to humble me that way. And uh, I think um, I really needed to be broken down a little bit. I uh, think in my life I thought I had a lot of things together and to a certain degree praise God that I do in him alone but I'm looking at the world today and the world thinks that it had it all together but everything that we see in the news and everything is falling apart and uh, and then your heart hurts because of sometimes of the things that you see and by the way we're in Mark chapter 10 if you wanted to turn your word to that Um, But last night as I uh, was praying about this morning's message and tonight's message, um, I just came keenly aware of how much more I needed the Lord and that uh, my heart had grown complacent or I don't want to say completely cold or anything, but, you know, it's, it's been a while since I've stretched myself out before the Lord. And I felt I needed to do that last night, which is actually was this early, early this morning. And I just laid myself out like David and just calling upon the Lord. And he came and he ministered to me. And I pray that he ministers to you. So last couple of weeks, we've been in uh, Mark chapter nine, but again, we're gonna be in chapter 10. And the very first part of chapter nine, we see Jesus taking Peter, James and John up onto the Mount, and that's what we would know as the Mount of Transfiguration. And Mark begins to describe what happens on the mountain and that Jesus just transformed in front of everyone, well, in front of the three. And they were blown away. They had, you know, we know what maybe white looks like, but the clothing that he was wearing turned to a brilliant white. They had never seen white like that before. And it was just like the purity of purity if that's possible, they were able to visit, envision and see. And they didn't know what to do. So Peter is just like, now let's build a tabernacle because Elijah and Moses and Jesus were there also. And they saw this. And so he wanted to build, Peter wanted to build tabernacles to honor everyone there, Jesus and Elijah and Moses. And God breaks through and says, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Hear him above. I mean, we got we got Moses and Elijah now. Moses is representing the law, and Elijah, of course, is representing the prophets, the law and the prophets. And these are great. We see that in the Torah. We see that in the Old Testament, law and the prophets. But God is saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. Pointing to his deity, po- pointing to his Priest and prophet, and he's God himself, so hear him, and that's important because when we get into in, into chapter ten you 've got the Pharisees coming who know the law, Pharisees that know the prophets, and they come and bring a, and present a question to the Lord, and who are we going to listen to? Oh wait well i don 't get ahead of myself then next you uh, we see. In uh, verses 14 through 29, we see a boy, a young man, that was healed of his demon possession. And, it, and you know, the disciples couldn't, couldn't cast this demon out. And Jesus points out that's through prayer and fasting. And so many, I know, that of you are uh, in our time of prayer and fasting, the Daniel fast. So um, you end up being spiritually, you should hopefully be drawing nearer and nearer to the Lord and then more sensitive in the spirit and... Uh, Anyway, a lot of power, Holy Spirit power comes forth and and the ability, of course, to cast out these demons. And and anyway, Jesus shows his power over the spiritual realm and comes and ministers to this boy and casts out the, the deaf and the dumb spirit. And then we see the disciples arguing amongst themselves of who's going to be in charge. Now, this comes after Jesus has told them that he's going to die. And so here they're walking with Jesus and, you know, their whole time as they're walking through Jesus, they're wondering, when is he going to set up his kingdom? So they're hopeful that he's going to set up his kingdom and that they're going to be a part of this. And so when he's ruling in his kingdom, that they will have a part to play. And they totally missed what he said. And so they're arguing amongst themselves who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus says the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the servant of all. Ultimately, he's talking about himself. But if you and I are his disciples, if you and I are his kids, some semblance of the essence of Christ should be rubbing off. And we also should be like our God and we should be servants. But know that we're sometimes packed with sin and we get prideful and arrogant. We do want to do things the way that we want to do it. Then we even see um, someone else Casting out in Christ's name, these demons. And then, but it wasn't part, of the, wasn't part of the disciples. And they're like, hey, you can't do that. But Jesus comes and tells them that those that are not against us are with us. And so there's great amount of work that's being done throughout the regions of this world. And we can get so picky and, and nitpicky and uh, they have to be like us in order to do this great work. That's not the humble servant that Christ would have us to to be, and so we need to appreciate who God has created each one of these ministries to be because they're reaching people, like we had, <laughs> we had a memorial service just yesterday, and we had a rough and gruff guy that passed away to be with the Lord, but this rough and gruff guy, he ministered to so many people that you and I probably in this room could never approach and never get to and touch, and then they hear the stories about how he touched them, even in the midst of him being rough and gruff. So you never know what God is going to use the, in, uh, that in your life to minister to other people. We can point the finger and go, ah, he's ah, kind of serving as that. Well, at least he had the courage to open his mouth, as Pastor Sean said. And then we're over here, we've got the treasures of heaven, but we're hoarding it because we don't have the courage to step out on faith and tell them about Jesus. But this rough and gruff guy did. So and then, uh, and then I'll say that it kinda, the chapter kind of closes that with uh, an exhortation for you and I to be salty Christians, that we wouldn't be bland, that you and I would uh, be able to be spicy and be useful and uh, have something to offer to those that need life. Now, this was, they were um, in the regions of Capernaum at this point, And then now they're getting ready to to go from Capernaum to the region of Judea. And that's where we pick up chapter 10, verse one. So then Jesus arose from basically Capernaum and his crew and they came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. So they would be on the east side of the Jordan, a little bit south of the Sea of Galilee in that whole region of Judea. And so they're going to go and, and, and minister. And multitudes of people gathered to him again And as he was accustomed, he taught them again. Now I'm just gonna read through it and then we're gonna double back. Make sure I don't lose my, my spot in that too. So the Pharisees came and asked him, as they're in the midst of ministering in the multitudes, as he's teaching, the Pharisees came and asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Testing him. And he answered and said to them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote this precept. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, Well, for this reason, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Anyone who want to be married here today? We can do that. We're just going through this passage. No? No? So in the house, his disciples also asked him about, again, about the same matter. So he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Then they brought little children to him then that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, little, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will no, by no means enter it and he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them and blessed them. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery Do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Just like we were singing that song. Jesus loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way. So whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Lord, would you help us again work through these passages? Some of them are difficult, but we pray that by your spirit, you would make them easy. For us to understand and easy for us to respond. And we pray, Lord, that your transforming power of your Holy Spirit would cause us, wherever we're at, whatever situations and circumstances that we are at, in our homes, in our our jobs or lack thereof, in our families, in the world today, in the church today, we pray, Lord, that your Spirit would do a work on our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to go back up to uh, verse 1. So there, then he rose from there, Capernaum, and came to the region of Judea by the other side, and multitudes gathered, gathered to him again And he was, as he was accustomed, and he taught them. Now the Pharisees came, and they asked this question, is it lawful to divorce his wife? And I like how Mark just inserts testing him. Every time we see the Pharisees coming into contact with Jesus, they're always testing. Perhaps you may even know people, and that every time you start talking about the things of God, they they start testing you. They start asking you questions just to test you and to see where you're really at. It could be people that don't know the Lord at all, and it can also be people inside the church just testing you, but they're, they're testing him. Now, this is something that they should know because they know the law. They know what's in the law of Moses. They know what's there, but they're asking this question. And, there's a, and usually the people, are, they're asking this question, there's reasons why they're asking these questions, and it doesn't quite explicitly say what they're, what they're looking for, but perhaps we could figure some of that out. So he answers, Jesus answers them with a question. What did Moses command you? I love how Jesus is so wise. You know sometimes we have to ask those questions when someone asks a question you ask a question to help them to come to grips especially if they if they know the answer or you know the answer but it's better when the, the light bulb goes off and you for themselves rather than you just flat out give them the straight answer right away you know you learn more that's why that's why sometimes you and I we have our parents and you know and they just put it go go figure that out go do that sometimes they show you but they want you to figure things out sometimes themselves because you're gonna learn it. Sometimes, uh, I praise God that they didn't teach me how to swim by throwing me in, but that's how the Boy Scouts wanted to do me one day. <laughs> and then they're throwing people in left and right. And I'm like, nope, I'm gonna hang on to this fence right here. Nope, you're not drowning this brother right here. Nope, nope. So, so they said, As they're answering him, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and dismiss her. Now, so Deuteronomy chapter 24, I'm gonna turn there for a second. I want you to see it. So I'm not making this up. This is the law and my Bible has a section that even says law concerning divorce. And you might even think that maybe tonight this section doesn't have any application to you. Hang on, because it actually does, because I want you to see the nature of God in these passages that we're going we're to cover. And uh, because you and I, I mean, in, in this passages are so important because you and I can have this misconception about God and miss him entirely. And many people, they have this v- view of God, this this jacked up view of God and because they have this jacked up view of God they refuse to follow him or they choose not to follow him but it's because they just don't know and they don't understand it says 24 verse 1 when a man takes a wife and marries her and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house I'm gonna just stop right there. There's not a period, it's a comma. But what I want you to see that the man has in, in this Jewish culture, he has the right to put, put away his wife. It's it's kind of it's kind of written in there. But again, this is Moses wrote this, but not God. Because of the, remember, because of the hardness of our hearts. He permitted it. And so now we're at this, this kind of this crossroads. Moses says this, but then yet God, we know, hates divorce. What do we do? Now, the various cultures that are surrounding this region, they're all, hey, they're divorcing left and right. They're, in, they're fornicating left and right. Forget about just having an intimate and committed uh, relationship. And then they're, you know, if they're divorced and left and right and sideways, it bleeds out on the children of Israel watching this too. And we're susceptible to falling into that pattern of sin and displeasing God, but because of the hardness of our heart, He permits it. If God permits that, and then if it, and actually I'll back up, I'm gonna read this section you remember where it said as I read the disciples also asked Jesus again about the same matter and Jesus says to them whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her now he just talked about we were just talking about divorce we didn't talk about adultery but Jesus equates it it's like a I don't know if the, the, the scholars will say this is an exaggeration of hyperbole but Jesus equates divorce to adultery. Now, adultery is also punishable by death. Do you remember the woman that was caught in adultery in the very act? And the, and the, the religious rulers brought her before Jesus and, then went and asked, hey, she was caught in the very act. What do we do? And he said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then they went away <laughs> because the, of course, Jesus knew what was in their heart—that they were filled with sin. But, but how in the world, if this is in God's law that these great and grievous sins that we sometimes commit are worthy of death, how come we don't see people dying left and right in Judaism or in Christianity? Oh, he committed—you know—he committed adultery. He's fornicating. Oh, he's doing all this, committing all these sexual immoral, you know, sexual immoral acts. Should he die? I think the church would be quite empty. <laughs> How come it's not happening? There's something that is in between the lines here, and perhaps. The Pharisees may have, though they're testing them, perhaps maybe they're asking a real question because, you know, some of the rabbis even approved of a man having many wives. We see throughout the Bible that men are having concubines here and sleeping with prostitutes there. And, you know, what in the world is going on? And in the, and, and in the other cultures you're seeing, well they're they're sleeping out there in the fields in the tents and they're going out and they're farming and but his wife is not able to conceive and they need more hands out there in the field and you need you know you need your offspring is to help you in the in the fields to help you in your business help you to put food on the table so well the other nations they're having these concubines and what they're doing is they're taking the concubine joining them with the with the male and then she conceives, gets pregnant, and then it is okay and it is permitted that when she is about ready to give birth, that the wife that's not able to have children will be right there, like Johnny Bench, for those of you who remember Johnny Bench, and catch that child right on her own knees. And so that there was considered the ability to, that would be considered she's able to have the kid and the child would be hers. And then, it, and then they would be able to continue to have their family and have an inheritance and, and then have more hands in the field to work. So it was something that was permitted and allowed, but it was something that God actually never designed. So, again, because of the hardness of his heart, Jesus answers them that he wrote you this precept. So, What in the world is going on here? And what is interesting today is that we want to learn a little bit more about the love and justice of God. Because the reality is, can God forgive you just because he loves you? Have you ever heard that question or answered that question before? You know, we under, yes, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. But can he forgive you just because he loves you? He actually can't. Well, if he does, that means he's an unjust God because that means he's judging impartially, with partiality. He cannot just pardon you left and right like the president was able to, able to pardon people left and right even though they've committed all these grievous sins. He just can't be pardoned left and right like that. And so you and you and I, or many of us, have this perception that God is just waiting because he's got his law and rule book out and he's like, okay, all right, Brent Hyden right here. I'm going to, all right, let's see if he, let's see if he's going to break this one right here. No, he didn't break that one. Oh, he's going to break this one. Though. Watch. watch. Oh, maybe Anna's going to break this one. I'm sure she's going to break this. And then, oh, yep, she broke it. <laughs> Some of us have that view that that's what God is going to do and that's what he's waiting to do. But that is totally not the character and nature of God. But we can sit there and we can open up our scriptures and read it that way. And then we have people that will come and present him as that way. Hellfire and brimstone preaching is good and it has its place, but sometimes it goes a little bit too far for some if they don't have the discerning ear by the Holy Spirit. Because it's interesting how there are some people that have this framework and fabric that because of the way life has, what life has dealt them, they really need the grace and mercy of God. Someone that's been beat down by the world, perhaps they've uh, been beat down by their parents, perhaps a woman's been beat down by her husband that's just had that domestic violence left and right in her life and, and in the children's life and they're just beat down, beat down, beat down, they're told they're worthless and all that. If a a hellfire and brimstone preacher comes, sometimes they're just getting beat down with the word and they're, they're being told that they're worthless. They run from God because that's what they've been. They've just been beat down left and right most of their life. But what that individual needs to hear is the grace and mercy of God. Now, then there's the guy that trampling all over God's grace. I think I can do anything that I want. He needs to hear that hellfire and brimstone preaching. He needs to know that, dude, your pride and your arrogance is just not right. You think that you can just go and march in and and trample on God like that? Watch out, buddy, because you really don't understand who he is. And that's what we want to do. There's a healthy tension that God leaves there in the word just catered to you. You know, we have, I don't know, 10, 12 pastors at New Vision. And I'm sure that they probably all share this. We can all stand up here and give a message, like even tonight. And so I'm saying one thing completely, and we're all hearing the same thing. But when you leave here and somebody asks you the question, what you learned? Or what did you take away from tonight? you all take something completely different than even the things that I was, thought I said. Oh, I, I loved how you said this. Uh, and if it's consistent with the word, I won't, I won't argue with them, but I, you know, it'll just be like, wow, God spoke to you like that? I can see. Now, if it goes completely way off into the stratosphere and it's like, oh, I guess I can go ahead and sin and do whatever I want. No, no, then I'm going to correct them and say, no, oh, no, that's not, let me let me tell you what I said. Let me tell you what the word says. But it's, it's, it's fascinating to me how each person gets encouraged or convicted, um, edified, instructed. And we all hear the same message, but sometimes it comes out a little different. It's because of all the filters that You've been raised up on, you know, you filter everything in through your experiences and things that, and, and what life has dealt you. And so it's amazing how the Holy Spirit has to work through all that. And if you've experienced trauma, if you experience some serious hurt and pain, and, you know, I might not have gone through anywhere as close to the hurt and pain that you have, but you had to do that. You're filtering all that information, and God has to speak to your heart to encourage you and pull you up out of it. You're going in a downward spiral and he's gotta pull you up out of that. And I don't know, and none of the pastors know anything about you going. I remember, gosh, this was back when I was uh, 13 or 14, and my mom would occasionally take us down to this Baptist church in Southeast San Diego. And then like twice, out of all my years, twice my dad went to church with us. And, uh, And the last time he went, He looked at my mom and he says, I know you've been talking to that pastor about me. How could he know all that information that he's talking about up there on the pulpit? I know that you said something. What did you say? He was seriously upset. And I'm like, Mom, I mean, she don't even know him other than just showing up at church. And I didn't realize it back then, but the conviction of the Holy Spirit was on him. He's looking at me as he's preaching and he's just staring at me. That's the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost was working overtime, and, I've, and I'm grateful to God that God grabbed a hold of my dad because, man, I, that's, that's one of the, one, one bit of evidence that I know that there is a God that if He could reach my angry father and break his heart and his father going down right behind him, it's like, I need to figure out what in the world's going on in that church. So, again, where I was going was, can God just pardon sin merely because he loves us so much? Absolutely not. If he did, then he would be an unjust God committing injustices all over the place. So how does God extend his love, mercy, and grace to sinners while remaining a just and righteous and loving God? How can he do that? So, again, we know that God hates sin and, and to break his law sometimes it means death. And as in this section, when we're talking about divorce, again, we were talking about divorce and then, God, then Jesus, God, equates divorce to adultery. A, basically a capital offense in Leviticus chapter 18 and Leviticus chapter 20. If you read through that, you'll, you'll see the law written out there. But again, the view that we have generally is that God li- lies in wait to annihilate us. If we break the household codes, These, the way that chapter 10 is kind of the first part of it anyways, the first half of it is, de- is kind of like talking about household codes, codes. Codes of the household. We're dealing with marriage right here. And then verses 13, 16, we're dealing with kids and then how we're to behave. And then we're dealing with kind of a, a living out our lives socially in chapter, excuse me, verses 17 to 22, how you and I are to behave in our households, in our homes and, and be out there in the street and out there in the way wherever we go. How is a man or woman to live and act and behave in, in the kingdom culture? This is kingdom culture. That's gonna be, this is Jesus's perspective, not the perspective of the law and the prophets. Because though the Jews had the law and they had the prophets, they didn't filter it through God's filter. God's filter was love. And so Jesus is attacking this through love. And so when we look at the law, we need to look at it through love. But yet we, uh, as we were talking about this morning at the Grove, um, we uh, sometimes miss completely what God intended. So John 3.16, I I just want, I'm gonna read a couple of these scriptures to you that you and I would see God is gracious, God is loving and God is patient and we're gonna see how he actually works out this dilemma that the Pharisees have kind of presented. This this dilemma that maybe this is the first time that you may have heard what I'm talking about today. The uh, bad news again is if we break God's law that there's punishment that comes. And so Bible declares that there is none righteous, no, not one, not even one. As righteous as you and I might think that we are in here, we're guilty. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now it's a gift, but he just doesn't give it out to you willy-nilly. So John 3:16 and verse 17 read this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent his son into the world to, con- to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So I think I missed the not in there. For God sent not his son. Everybody's like, I'm out. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God made him who knew no sin, which is Jesus, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus did not know sin, but he was sent to you and I, that you and I is like, and I mean no disrespect to the Lord at all, but if you remember that game that we would would all play at at, uh, our uh, birthday parties, pin the tail on the donkey. So basically we're taking our tail, or we're taking our sin, and we're putting it on Christ, And he's taking it. Kind of puts a little perspective on being pierced for our transgressions, doesn't it? In exchange, we're doing a transfer as we're pinning to a certain degree our sin on him. His righteousness, his shed blood comes and flows over us and covers our sin. And so we appear before the father clean and holy. And not only that. He sees the righteousness of his son, so that when he sees the righteousness of his son, whew, he sees, he doesn't see our sin, he doesn't see all the jacked up stuff that you've got going on in your heart and your mind and the things that you've actually done and committed, but he sees his son. It's much like I, I, re, I remember this story that was told, and so I'm not uh, a farmer or anything like that or uh, one that deals with cattle and all that, or but if I was raising sheep and uh, so the lambs or the, or the ewes are giving birth. So we got two, two, two lambs or two ewes. They're both giving birth. They both give birth to a little lammy. Both of them come out. One is dead and one is alive. So here I am. I own this livestock. I come and I see Little lamby that belongs to this you this that's alive, and I see this dead lamb or, that belongs to this you just laying there. What am I gonna do? Because I know, because I, I have owned livestock forever, not really, but what I'm gonna do is, wow. Oh, excuse me, the, the, the mother dies. Excuse me, not the, not, the mother dies. The little lamb is okay, but the mother dies. And so this baby lamb is without a mother and it can't suckle. And they will only suckle that which belongs to them. And the way that they know that it belongs to them is by the smell of its very own blood. They they know the smell that's come from its own placenta. So what am I gonna do? The placenta is still right there from that one that's, the mom that's still alive. And this baby is without her mother. I'm going to take this placenta and as much blood as I can get up and I'm going to smother it all over this baby lamb that's alive. And so now when I take this baby lamb and I present it to the mother, she smells it and she smells her own blood on it and then receives it to herself. And that's pretty much kind of like what God does. And it's interesting how he chose the lamb for this. That Jesus is the Lamb that was slain before the sins before the world was foundation of the world. This is God's sacrifice. So I want you to know that when you know you can trust the blood of the Lamb, you can trust what Jesus Christ has done for you. You don't have to swirl about in your in your head and mind. Well, I just, man, now I'm not giving license to any sin, but you know what happens is it's gosh. I'm struggling. I'm trying. I'm trying to keep from the computer. I'm trying really hard. I'm trying real hard. And then, oh, gosh. And then now, gosh, I can't believe what I just looked at. I can't believe this is what I did. I just can't believe what. Oh. And so we walk around for months just swirling around in our head. I must not be saved. I must not be saved. I must not be saved. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ knew that you needed a Savior and He died on the cross for your sin. Does he have to keep dying over and over and again for you? Or was his death 2,000 years ago sufficient enough for you? And I submit to you that it was sufficient enough for you because he was the perfect sacrifice for you. The blood of lambs and bulls and goats and um, doves and grain, insufficient. That's why they had to keep having sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. His one sacrifice was complete enough to bring you and I in. And so we need to trust that, not giving license to sin, but I just want you to see what He's done for you and I to take a look at his nature. I'm going to turn to Exodus chapter 34. Actually, I'm going to read a little bit in Genesis, excuse me, Exodus 33 first. I want you to look at Moses. Moses had been on the mountain on Mount Sinai and he'd been up on mount sinai for quite some time with the lord for quite some time and so god is writing the law or the 10 commandments on tablets of stone so the people that are down there waiting for moses and moses waiting for moses they're down there with aaron and they're getting nervous and they're like oh moses is never coming back why don't we just go ahead and just take what we have we plundered egypt why don't we just build our own Little golden calf, and they start to doing that, and they start breaking out in a party and an orgy, and all that. And so, the Lord is having a good time up there with Moses, and Moses is having a good time too. And the Lord's like, Oh, you better go check and see what's going on down there in the camp because things aren't going so good down there. So, Moses is coming down there with the tablets of stone, with the law which is really, I I gotta keep remembering to say this, it was the law of love, not just rules and regulations, but it was the law of love. And he sees what's going on and he gets angry. His anger's not in check. So brother, frankly, your, your scripture was beautiful. It's inappropriate. And he throws down the tablets of stone and breaks them. Now this is what he's supposed, he's commanded to teach the children of Israel the law, to teach the commandments that they're to learn how to do this, and he just broke them out of his anger. And so, Moses is like, oh, let me, actually, let me catch up where I'm at. So Moses is a little frustrated. I'm gonna actually, in verse chapter 33, verse 12, Moses is just a little frustrated because he's supposed to take these people from Mount Sinai, go through the wilderness to the promised land. And he says this to them, Lord, verse 12, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, I ask you, if you have found, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. And he said, this God's talking back to him. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not. <laughs> after he said, my presence is going to go with you. But he's like, if your presence does not go up with us, don't bring us up from this from here. And he's not like it's not like he's trusting God here. I really want you to come. But gee, and, and the Lord just said, I'm coming. Anyway, for how then if he, if he. Do not bring us up from here. How then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? Great question. And God promises all through his scripture that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never leave me nor forsake me. But we question this all the time, just like Moses. We need to trust him by faith. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. I'm just putting this in here. It's just like, how many times I got to tell you, Moses? How many times I got to tell you, James? How many times I got to tell you, Noah and Randy and, and whoever else is out here? In here? But he's not saying that, but in a, in, a, in a way he is. And, he's, and Moses responds by saying, please show me. glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. You hear that? It's not that I'm going to make all my rules and regulations pass before you, even though they're good, but I'm going to, I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, the eternal self-existent one, I will proclaim it before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, by me. Intimate, God wants to be intimate with you and I, by me right now, whether you realize it or not, you all have a front seat and you're in the the next seat, right? As a matter of fact, he's sitting in you, so... (laughs) That's how close he is. He's near to you, but he wants to be that close. And he says, so he says, here's a place by me and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be my glory. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take my hand away. I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Again, because he's concerned for him and he doesn't want him to die. That's God's heart, that he would be concerned for you and me and all of us because he doesn't want you and I to die. But we think he's a mean potentate, mean king, and he wants to just do away with us. So he instructs Moses to to cut two tablets of stone. He instructs him on what to do. So be ready, verse two, chapter 34, be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. Now I'm gonna jump to verse five. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful. this I want you to hear these attributes of him. Merciful and gracious. He's long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and in transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty. The guilty will go punished. However, how does he do this? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and children, children, third, fourth generation. What he did here is I had just read to you, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So how he clears the guilty is that the guilty, their sin is on Christ. The punishment that you and I, the whole world deserves is not on you, it's on Jesus Christ. And so because it becomes retroactive, even though for those that were before the, crucif- the, the crucifixion of Christ and those that the present at the time and those thereafter. His sinless shed blood for you is effective for all eternity past, eternity present, and eternity future. So this is how God is able to be a God of justice, not just indiscriminately pardoning people. But because he would love you and I that much that he would give his son up over for you and I so that this could take place. So Second Peter chapter, chapter three verse nine says, "The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise as some understand slowness, but instead is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting everyone to come to repentance." Ezekiel 18 verse 23, "Do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord? Rather, I am not pleased when they turn from their ways and live." Ezekiel 33:11. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? God presents it that way, that all we need to do is turn to him, turn to that sacrifice that Jesus Christ makes available to you and I by his grace and his mercy. And we'll live. And then Deuteronomy 6, chapter five, it's Deuteronomy chapter six, verses five and six. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart. We can ask, do I really love the Lord? If I really love the Lord, it would probably show up in my obedience, but boy, there's times when I'm just disobedience. Well, Moses was commanded to teach us to be, to obey. So we have kind of a learning curve to go through. And he encourages us with this because this is God's words to Moses. These words which I command you this day, he's commanding it to Moses to teach, it's going to be in your heart. Something that we learn, something that, we grow, that, that will grow. We just got to veil ourselves to them. So, again, going back to the text, God hates divorce. And when we do, do divorce, breaking the holiness codes equates to adultery. Yeah. But adultery is one of those sins that Christ died for. It does not give us license to do or to continue in sin, but it is something that he has forgiven to those who totally depend and trust upon him. So let's not get it twisted. God did not okay that certificate, but he also has not condemned you for it. Why does God hate it so much? I think when we're looking at the grand scheme of things, God has made himself a commitment to you that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And for if you're his children, he would expect the same, that you would not, if if he's going to bring you a gift, he would expect you to take care of that gift that he's given to you, and that you would have just as great of a commitment to that gift that he brought you as the gift that he is bringing himself to you. Does that make any sense there with me? And so, and I know that there are folks that have, have had divorce. This is not a message to con- condemn you for all that from the past. This is just bringing it up to speed that God is really interested in having intimate, close contact and relationship with each and every one of us individually. And he doesn't want that broken. And he doesn't want you to, that broken between you is that there's something that's probably went wrong in our way of living because of our pride and because of our selfish ways and because we've chosen to disobey God at his word and our responsibility. And I thank God that, that Pastor Pete said, hey, can you teach for me this day? Because it refreshed me as going through it. And, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why I was so on my face before the Lord because I was just like, wow, Lord, my role as a husband. You know, a husband is supposed to love his wife as Christ loved the church. I'm supposed to die for my wife. Have I been dying for my wife these past couple of weeks during this, or months in COVID? I have not. That, that came ridiculously clear. And I was like, oh, wow. Thank you, Lord, for giving me a time and opportunity to learn and that you're not condemning me, but you are talking to me right now. And I availed, again, I availed myself to, I want to hear what you have to say to me, Lord. Would you, would you, would you instead of, uh, like some days ago, okay, I read my 10 scriptures today, but I throw the Bible back up on the counter. No, I, Lord, am I pleasing to you? And if not, show me. Show me. I've got a long ways to go. And I praise God that... that those clauses in there do, that, uh, that divorce is not okay. Because if we had that out, my wife would probably be gone today. Or if I had that out because I found some, something that was unclean in her in my own mind, in my own stinking thinking, which most of us do, I'm not getting my way in this relationship. So I found, oh, I'm going to find something wrong so I can just give right her off this certificate of divorce rather than really look inwardly is where am I deficient in this relationship? And I need to search that. And then likewise, because, you know, it's interesting here, the nations of the world, they're not, the way that the social codes were in the the other nations, the man was in charge, the wife had to submit, you must submit. Doesn't matter what the man does, but the, the woman has to submit. But when God comes along, when Jesus is coming along, he's saying there's mutual submission. That's different than the rest of the world. And the church would like to say, she must submit to me. But if you're reading the scriptures, it's mutual. The husband's got to die for his wife, which might might mean you're going to die empty in the trash again. Or it might mean. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm uh, I'm an isolator and so I'm not so lovey dovey but I have to die to myself, I have to die to that old nature and break my arm. Just like Donna Julius right there, loving doving and, and I have to I have to work at loving my wife. And then, you know, the the wife is supposed to respect and submit to her husband, respect and honor him. And then, but what the women like to do is, I'm not respecting that fool. He don't do nothing in the house, and now you know we don't have time to go into gen- in Genesis. But we see that there's this, there's at that sin in the garden. It just starts, and he's not going to die for his wife, and she's not going to respect his word, and it's just going to be this all the way until they submit themselves to the will of God and to Christ. And then they, as they're submitting to him, they're now submitting to each other. And then the household codes kick in. Then also the kids are supposed to submit. It's everyone mutually submitting. And then when you get to the outside of the home, you're to mutually submit to whoever your master would be. Now that's strange language coming from me. But the reality of it is if you have a job and a boss, if you're not the boss, well, the reality is that person's your master. I don't want to hear that. It's just true, it's just true. The spiritual aspect of this now is, is God leading you? Is he your master? Or is the prince of the power of the air your master? There's For the man and woman of God, there's the two choices. We might think we're mastering ourselves, but the reality is if I'm mastering myself, I'm deceived because really, I have really given myself over to the prince of the power of the air, Satan. Because I'm going according to his will. Because I'm puffed up in my pride, I'm puffed up in my arrogance. And I don't care about others, but I just wanna worry about me. So the reality is is we're mutually submitting to each other and serving each other because we're going back into Chapter nine, where the, the disciples are fighting amongst themselves, who's going to be the greatest? And, he, and Jesus drops a bomb. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the servant of all. We're to serve each other. So the reality of it is, which is work. I'm try, I have to try to outbless my wife in service to her. And if she's looking at the scriptures right, she's going to try to outbless me in, in her service to the Lord and to me. And can you imagine what that would happen even just in your rows if you guys all tried to submit to each other and outbless each other? What in the world would that look like? What in the world would the world look like if we're all trying to outbless everybody else that we come into contact with? Would you see the charging on the Capitol? Would you see all the marching? No. We would be trying to outbless each other. So then, verse 13. Man, I was on that text for a long time. But I'm trusting that perhaps God really wanted to take someone there. And I hope if that's you, that maybe by chance you'll come and say something that you may have needed to hear the grace and mercy of God as you, and perhaps you've been prone to beat yourself up left and right. Don't do that. What Christ did for you is sufficient and you're his. And what that does is when you see this image, I, standing before the judge because of my sin, I need to have my head on the chopping block because I'm guilty. And the blade is getting ready to come down. And what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me is like, no oh, father, James put his faith and trust in my work that I've done and that I'm going to do. He goes free. Stand over there, James. I got this. I got your punishment. We know he went to the cross, but I'm just trying to make an example here. And he places himself in harm's way and he allows the blade to go in my place that I deserve. And I'm sitting here witnessing that he did nothing wrong, but I did it all. But I get to live. If for, the, for those of you that remember Private Ryan saving Private Ryan, and they went to go, the, the troops went to go and get saving Private Ryan because he was out in the front lines and his brother had died in, in the army, and he's the last surviving member that can continue the, the family heritage of the Ryans. So they get sent, they send these troops in to go get this guy out so that his, his family line can, can continue. And man, these these guys that go in are getting blown up left and right and sideways. And just when it seems like there's, they're, they're all gonna die, the Allied forces come in, the day is saved, Saving Pri- S- Private Ryan is okay. But the captain who was leading this whole band, he's dying, he's, he's, he's just bleeding out. And, and Ryan comes to him just to check on him. And the captain says to him, Earn this. Earn this. And so in, saving, in, in, in Ryan's mind, he's just like at, at the end, he's, he's finally older. And he's now at the gravesites of all those that had saved his life. And he's looking at them and his, and his family is there. And he's standing at the gravesite and his wife comes and he looks and he says, tell me I'm a good man. Tell me I'm a good man. Did I live my life right? Because of all those that had died for him so that he can have a life and that he can have a family and a lineage. And it's not that you and I have, we can, there's no way that we can earn this life with God. But when you and I stand back and we see all that, wow, what I've done. Wow, how many fires I've started. And yet they gave their, he gave his life for me. It turns into love and you love back. And then it doesn't become hard. It's not a list of rules and regulations. And then everything that you do, your motivation is love. I love because he first loved me. So I love, I love, I love, I love. I don't have to. I get to. So then they brought little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of God. Now the disciples are having to be rebuked again. Remember they're struggling for power in, in chapter nine. So Jesus had to use point language. If you don't get this, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Assuredly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. He took them up in his arms laid his hands on them, and he blessed them. And so now we see, I want to take a look at children because we've got to become like children. Well, children are powerless. They're humble, they're faithful, and they're trusting. These are the traits of the citizens of heaven where their dependence is totally upon God for everything. Notice the difference between the child of God and the man who believes he has everything together. It's coming up right here. Verse 17. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running and knelt before him. And he asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus throws this question back out. Remember how he said that Jesus, you ask Jesus a question, he's going to throw another question back at you? This is the question he throws back at him Why do you call me good? And then he points out, No one is good, no, no one is good but one, that is God. Why does he throw that out there like that? Well, the, it's said that it's, if if you're a, rab, a good rabbi, would kind of deflect praise. And so he's kind of, you know, but that can also be considered false humility. But he's pointing out something here. If, if you're calling me good, and but he points out that only God is good, then when you're comparing goodness to God and goodness to yourself, there's a huge distance, a huge gap between that. And so, he knew exactly what to say to this rich young ruler that hopefully would have such an impact on him. He knows what to say to you and I that hopefully it would have such an impact on us. So Jesus is really challenging him to listen to his reasoning. And uh, so Jesus responds to him, continues his response. He says, You know the commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, now this the, the, the ruler is saying this, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. The age of accountability in Jewish culture is about 13, so about 13, from the age 13 on, he's he's learned things from his, his father, he's learned things from school. He's been keeping the, the rules, he's been keeping the, the Ten Commandments, he's been keeping the Torah. These teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Interesting. Cool. Now, Jesus could have blasted him because I like it when, when uh, Jesus comes and he says, "Hey, um, let me tell you this, guys: He who's looked upon a woman lust after her in her heart has committed adultery. Oh, How many people in this room have done that? How many women have done that? Uh? Oh, hmm. Or fornication or anything. Or coveting. Wow. So just even our very thoughts betray us. That's how deep sin goes. It's just not just the physical act of it. I haven't committed adultery before. Oh, but what about the lust of your flesh? Oh gosh, I can't get away from that. Wow, Lord, I need you. So Jesus looks at him and loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in in heaven and come up, come, take up the cross and follow me. Now, wonder if this is an exaggeration that Jesus is doing with him. Is he going to really require that he would give everything up? Probably not, but it's a test of his heart. But the reality is this. Proverbs would tell us, trust the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will lead, guide and direct your path. How much do you and I really trust and lean upon the Lord for everything? This guy, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. What in the world is in his way that he possessed, that he would physically possessed, that he would walk away from eternal life? Because Jesus was telling him what, how to t- obtain eternal life. And he, his possessions might have been great, but he left eternal life behind for his possessions. His unto man wants to die, but after this, the judgment. He's got judgment coming, and he walked away. I mean, he may have come back later, but he walked away at this point. So he lacked dependence upon God. The hallmark of a child is their dependence upon their parents. If you or we call ourselves a child of God, how much do you depend upon God for? And now this is just something that I want you, I'm just throwing these out. I just want you to think about that. You don't have to raise your hand or anything, but how much do you trust upon God for your salvation? Or do you trust in yourself that it depends upon you? Or are you gonna trust that it depends upon God? For your sustenance, whether it be uh, spiritual, or financial or physical? How how much do you trust upon the Lord? And how much do you trust upon yourself? With your marriage, how much do you trust upon the Lord? And then you're obeying the Lord and surrendering and submitting yourself to His will. And that God would help you or do you have to do something and fix it? I'm just asking these questions for cause you to think. Do you trust God for your, with your children? Do you tr- trust God with your health and well-being? Are you trusting in your accomplishments, contacts, relationships, wealth, position, self-righteousness, holiness, intelligence? Do you trust in your degrees or scholarship? Do you trust in your good looks? For you and I to be useful to Jesus, our great God and King, we must empty ourselves of ourself. We need to humble ourselves before God. If we humble ourselves before God, he will exalt us. But if we exalt ourselves, scriptures tell us that he will humble us. I'm going to close with Philippians chapter two and then have Pastor Brent share uh, this evening's communion. I just want to look at Jesus and how we're be. So if you have a relationship with Christ, no matter how new or how old, if you've been consoled in Christ, if you have been comforted in Him, if you have any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, Paul saying, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, that you and I would be unified, that you and I would have the same love that, that Christ has, that you and I would be one accord, that you and I would be one of, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it to be robbery with God, but did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a free will slave or of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to death of the cross. This is what he did for us, ladies and gentlemen. And because of this, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those of the earth and of those under the earth, that every tongue conf- should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The greatest and deepest characteristic of the child of God or the follower of Christ is humility, or it's the lack thereof. And so you and I today, we need to just, in response, God, would you help me with completely and utterly trusting you for every aspect of my life, every area of my life? And Lord, would you help me to see my blind spots where maybe there's pride or arrogance in the way that I am or behaving and living? And Lord, would you, by, by the power of your word, begin to lead, guide, direct, and teach me how to live and be the man that, or woman, woman that you've called me to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.